Turn with me to the 148th Psalm, if you would, in verse 14. Psalm chapter 148, verse 14. Today's message will be number 31 in our series on the whole counsel of God. And we're going to be dealing with the subject today, the power of God in redemption. The power of God in redemption, or the power of God in the salvation of a sinner. A few weeks ago, we dealt with the wisdom of God in redemption, and now we're going to uh, turn to another attribute which is absolutely essential in the realness of our salvation, and that's God's power. Psalm chapter 148 and verse 14. The last two Sundays, we've covered the power of God in creation in this psalm in verses 1 through 7. And then, last Sunday, we dealt with the power of God in providence or human government in verses 8 through 13. Now, the last verse of this psalm, we see the power of God in salvation or redemption. He also exalteth the horn of his people. The praise of all the saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto him, praise ye the Lord. Now notice here it is God's power that exalts his people. And the praise of the saints, even the children of Israel, who are a people near unto him. Going back into the previous psalm, chapter 147, and verses 19 and 20. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any other nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Now notice God has a people. In the Old Testament era, they were known as the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. We come now to the New Testament era, and we find that in Galatians and Ephesians and Romans, the apostles showing that those descendants are all believers who have the faith of Abraham, and these are known as the people of God. And these are a people which God has exalted to a position in Christ Jesus by his mighty power. How does God save a sinner? We want to see that in application today. Now let's go back to another text in Psalm chapter 110. Psalms chapter 110 and verse 3. Psalm chapter 110 verse 3. Now notice the words, Thy people, again, shall be willing in the day of thy power. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. How does God produce a Christian? How does God take a sinner who is set upon loving himself and make him to willingly love the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, mind, and soul? That's the subject that we want to look into today. Now, we notice, first of all, in the redemption of God and its mighty, powerful working, it is the redemption of his people. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, with the birth of Jesus Christ, we read this account. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, 
for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is a name that was given to him because of the work which he came to do. Jesus means Savior. And when Mary was told she was going to bring forth the Son, God even gave her the name for that Son. And his name is Jesus. Why shall you call him Jesus, Mary? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Now, he's going to attempt to or do the best he can, but Jesus is a mighty, powerful Savior who shall save his people from their sins. We read in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 of what type of redemption this is that the Savior came to do. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, we have a heavenly scene now. This is not an earthly scene, but a scene in which of the final scene in heaven of the day of judgment. And we read these words of those inhabitants in this scene. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, did you catch that scene? Here's a scene of people which are in heaven. They have been redeemed. To what did they give the cause of their redemption to? Redemption means to purchase or to buy back from. And when the human race fell into sin, then God, through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, purchased back a race in which shall ultimately be in heaven. And they said, it is because of thy blood. But now notice what kind of redemption it was. Notice, and hast redeemed us to God, brought us back to God, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That is, that it is a redemption out of the host of mankind at large. That is, out of every member of Adam's race, here is a host out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation which has been redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and they gave the cause of their redemption to that blood and that blood alone. Now let's look at the need of why does God have to act in power in the salvation of a sinner? Why can't God just give a command and the individual keep that command and thereby merit the blessing of God? That's what he did with Adam when he gave Adam the command in the garden. Why did Jesus Christ have to die and why does God have to exert a powerful influence in order for a sinner to be made a saint? Well, there's a reason for this. And we see the reason when we understand, secondly, the impossibility of man being his own Savior. Beloved, this is something that our age is quickly losing sight of. And that is the fact that man cannot save himself. Man cannot be his own savior. Man does not possess within his nature now since the fall 
a self-do-it-yourself salvation kit. That is, all he has to do is put the pieces together and make himself a Christian or make himself a saint. Now, I want us to go to the Bible this morning and see the reason why God has to work in power in order to produce a Christian. We've seen the mighty power in creation. We've seen his mighty power in governing his creation. By that same mighty power he uses to produce a Christian or to take a sinner and make them a saint. Let's see it in the example in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23, there with the account of the rich young ruler. Here's a young man who came to Jesus one day and he wanted to go to heaven. That is, he wanted to know what he must do in order to have eternal life. And in Matthew chapter 19, we read the account. And Jesus said, all right, uh, we haven't time to deal with the whole matter, but he says, if you want to have eternal life, then you keep the commandments. And that's a mystery to some today who don't understand the relation of the law to the gospel of God, why Jesus would ever refer to the commandments. But the young man said, oh, I've done all of these things. And Jesus said, well, now, wait a minute. What about that one that says, thou shalt not covet? Jesus knew his heart. And he knew he loved his money more than he loved eternal life. And so he went in with that one. Why, he told him, and you go then, if you want eternal life, if you would be perfect, go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the young man, when he heard that saying, he went away sorrowing, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall enter into heaven, shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now that is an impossibility for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And this is, here's a young man came, came wanting to know what he must do in order to go to heaven or to have eternal life. And Jesus told him what he must do. And he went away sorrowing because he loved his own sin, that is, his own riches, his own covetousness, more than he loved the way in which the Christ set forth. Now, let's look at this because when the disciples heard the pronouncement, we read in verse 25, when his disciples heard it, then they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? Now, I want you to note this because this is a very important question. The question comes up often today. Who can, out of Adam's race, be saved? Who has the ability to be saved? And this amazed the apostles. And I want you to note the answer that Jesus gave them. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, beloved, this is a pertinent question. Out of this congregation here this morning, who has the ability to be saved? And Jesus says there's not a one of us that has that ability. Why not, Pastor? Because every one of us have a sinful nature which love our sin more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. This is what kept the young man from embracing Christ. And this is what keeps sinners from coming to Jesus Christ, is they love themselves more 
then they love the truth that's in the gospel. So he can be saved. Now, remember, this is not the words of Jim Gables, not the words of a preacher. This statement amazed the disciples of Jesus. When he said, with men it is impossible. You've seen man go away. He loved his sin more than he loved the gospel. But with God, all things are possible. So that the attributing to salvation is not to man, but it is to God and to him alone. In Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23, we again see the question asked, Can a man save himself? Can a man, either by his own works or his obedience or his own faith, can he save himself? In Jeremiah 13:23, the question is asked, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do, to do evil. Can the Ethiopian change their skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Now, those are questions. Can he do that? Why can't he? Because that's part of his nature. Now then, the question is asked, can a person who is accustomed to doing evil change his heart and do good? And, of course, the answer in its very setting is, it cannot be done. Now, Adam had the ability to do good prior to his sin. But when Adam sinned, there was a penalty that fell upon him and his descendants. And that was, what was it? In the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely, what? Die. And die, Adam did. What did he die to? He died to all that which was good, all of that which was toward God, and he became alive unto himself and to his sin. And hereby his descendants have now inherited a nature whereby they love themselves more than God. And this is what prevents a person from becoming a Christian. This is when that the gospel is offered, that without the power of God, man will refuse that offer, because he sees no good in that offer. So the Ethiopian cannot change his skin, the leopard cannot change his spots, and that person which has an evil heart cannot change that heart and make it a good heart. Job, in 14, chapter 14, verse 4, asked a question. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Now, does man by nature have a clean heart, an unclean heart, or a neutral heart? How you answer that question will be how you see the need of God in the gospel. And the Bible sets it forth. He has an unclean heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So can a person who has an unclean heart clean up their heart so by that they can make it good and desire the goodness that's in the gospel? And they say, the answer is no, not one. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 14. Now some uh, writers and some... Uh, Church groups, they hold to this belief that God looks down and he sees who will do what they will do. That is, that some will believe and some will not believe. And therefore, on that basis, he chooses to save those that believe and those that don't, why he refuses to do so. 
Now let's look into the Bible and see what God sees when he looks down from heaven. Does God, when he views the human race now, does he see some members of that race desiring to be a Christian and others that don't desire to be Christians and therefore because of that is that why that a person is saved? But the power is the reason that you're saved this morning. Is it because God looked down and he saw that you wanted to be saved? And therefore he said, well, that we'll go ahead and save that individual. Is that the reason? Now let's let the Bible himself, itself set forth in Psalm chapter 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Now look carefully. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now here's God looking down upon the whole human race that he's going to create. And he's going to see if there was any that did understand and seek after him. Now what did he see? Verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what, I, that's what God saw. He looked down upon a whole creation of the human race, and out of that race did not see one individual that would seek after him, even when all types of opportunities were given unto that person. There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. And that's what the Apostle Paul uses in Romans, the third chapter, to set forth what is known as the depravity of the human heart. Why won't man seek after God? Because it means that he will have to give up his own kingdom of loving himself and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of his life. Now, that's the basic reason. It's not something outside of man that keeps him from being a Christian. It's something in the heart of man. He doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, and none seek after him. Jesus told the unbelieving Jews, You will not come unto me that you might have life. Then he said in another passage of Scripture, No man can come unto me except the Spirit of God or the Father draw him. So there must be a drawing, powerful work of the Holy Spirit to overcome the natural depravity of the human heart to draw it to see the goodness that's in Christ Jesus. So that's why if man is left to himself, he will not come to Christ. Now, in creation, there was nothing to oppose the power of God. God had but to speak, and the heavens and the world came into existence. Now, we've already seen that. There was nothing to oppose God's power in creation. But, beloved, in redemption, there is something that is opposing to God. And you know what that is? That's the will of man. In redemption, the will of man opposes God's mighty power. In creation, he had but to speak. There was nothing there to oppose it. But in redemption, the will of man is set in opposition to God. Man's understanding of the gospel is such that he is ignorant of the truth of the gospel. He doesn't realize that he is a helpless, lost sinner. And his will is opposed to the desirability of the gospel. He doesn't see the gospel as being something desirable for him to embrace. 
He would see it, well, I would use it, I'd like heaven, but yet I don't want to have to relinquish this or that or so forth. Therefore, I don't want it on Christ's terms, I want it on my terms. And so he does not see in his will the desirability and the beauty that's in Jesus Christ. The stream of man's depraved nature cannot be turned, listen, except by a power above nature. You take the stream that's flowing by our church out here. That stream in and of itself cannot change itself and start flowing the other way. There must be a force which is more powerful than the nature of that stream. And the depraved heart of the sinner is such that it's flowing towards sin and the love of self. And if it's ever going to be changed, it's got to be changed by a supernatural power, not a power within man himself. So have you seen then the impossibility of man to save his own self? Then we want to look at God's power, then, in the salvation of a sinner. How does God save a sinner? The Virgin Mary had an angel came to her, and the angel informed her in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 that she had been blessed of God, not because of something that she was, but God singled her out among all the other women And he said, Mary, blessed art thou among women. Now, Mary wasn't any more deserving of bearing the child, that uh, the Savior of the world, than all the other Jewish women. But why Mary? Because God blessed her. God blessed Mary. And so when she was told she was going to have a child, why we read in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 that she asked a question. Well, how can I have a child seeing that I know not a man? How can I have a child? It's an impossibility. I don't have a husband. I have never known a man. Then the angel gives us these words in Luke 1, verse 35. And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Now, here's a virgin. She's told she's going to have a child. She says, how can this be? This isn't natural. It isn't natural. And the answer that was given her is that the power of the highest, or the Holy Ghost, shall come upon you, and that which is implanted within your womb shall be the Holy Child, Jesus Christ. Now, do you understand that? I don't. I don't understand how that a virgin can have a child. But I know that it happens. I know that it happens. Now, I don't understand how a sinner, that is, who loves himself, how he's made to become a lover of God. But I know it happens. And the cause is not to be attributed to the ability of Mary's womb It's to be attributed to the power of the Holy Ghost that comes upon Mary. And thereby she brings forth a child, an impossible thing, but yet it comes to happen. Now, Jesus said that with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It is his power which produces Christians. It is his power which makes a sinner into a saint. Let's go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 17 to see this. 
with the example that the Apostle Paul gives of Abraham. You know how Abraham was an old man and his wife Sarah. She could not have children. Abraham could not bear children. And in their old age, God came to Abraham and he said, You're going to have a child and you're going to have a descendant. And from that descendant, the Savior of the world is going to come. And Abraham, I'm going to give of your seed, I'm going to make it so many that it's going to be as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And Abraham looks and thinks a minute, well, I can't have a child. He looks at Sarah, says, well, Sarah's room's barren, she can't have a child. How can these things be? With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, reading in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. You remember in creation? How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke, and that which was not in existence came into existence. Now, God says to Abraham, Abraham, your wife's womb is barren. There is no ability in her womb. There is no ability in your body. But because I call into being the things which are not, and because I have the ability to quicken the dead, I shall also quicken that barren womb, and she shall bring forth that child of the promise. Now, look at, look at Abraham, verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope? What does that mean, Pastor? Abraham, against the hope of his natural ability, of his own body and that of his wife, who against that hope believed in hope. That is, he believed in God's ability. And because of that, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. You see that? Abraham looked at his own body. He says, impossible. He looked at the body of his wife. Impossible. But he did not look there any longer. He looked at the one who made the promise and believed that the one who made the promise had the ability to bring it to pass. And because he was strong in faith, he gave all the glory to God. And as a result, because of that, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now, Abraham was told to go out, and he said, God told Abraham, look up into the sky. You see all those stars? Abraham, you're going to be the father of a people that's going to be more in number than the stars up there in the sky. Now, remember, we've already read about those people in Revelation. Out of every kindred people and tongue and nation and so forth, all of these individuals, Jew and Gentile, Abraham's going to be the father of many nations, see not just the physical Israel alone, but many, many nations. Now Abraham looks up there and he says, All of those, I'm going to be a father of people more than those. Yes, and if you don't believe that, Abraham, go down by the seashore. And you start counting the grains of sand. And when you get all those finished, 
then you're going to have more children than those are. You see, people, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people there. God is going to be merciful, going to redeem many, 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 such that you can't even number, number them. But Abraham then thought, well, how can this be? I can't have a child. Sarah can't have a child. How shall this promise come to and put him upon the ability of God, and that settled it for Abraham. He said, if God can, said he can do it, he can do it. And sure enough, out of the dead womb of Sarah, the Holy Spirit so quickened her womb that she brought forth a child, just like with, in the relationship with Mary in the New Testament, although, of course, not a virgin child. And so, the God who quickens and raises the dead is the one which gave the promise to Abraham. Abraham's hope was not just the promise, but God's ability to perform the promise. Now, I want to make this application to perhaps someone here today. You say, well, Pastor, how can I be saved? I believe the promise of God. That is, I know that God has promised that uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Yes, but have you come to the end of yourself to see that you of yourself cannot change your heart to truly believe that promise? And do you believe that God has the power to come down and to change your wicked will and draw you to Jesus Christ? Do you believe He has that power? Do you believe that He which would speak to the dead womb of Sarah can also speak to the deadness of your will, of your heart, and change it unto loving that of Christ? Do you believe that the one who speaks to the womb of the Virgin Mary and comes upon her and overpowers her so that she brings forth a child, do you believe that he also has the ability to speak to that old cold-hearted, stony heart of yours and turn it into a heart of flesh that would love Christ and the gospel? You see, it's not in your ability to come to Christ where the hope is. It is in God's ability to bring you to Him is where the hope of the gospel is. So that the cause is not in Abraham, but it's in God's power. We do not attribute the cause of the birth of Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary. We attribute it to the power of the Holy Spirit. And every time a sinner is born into the kingdom of God, we do not attribute the cause of their salvation to their own ability, their own willingness. No, thy people shall be willing when? In the day of God's power. When God comes and he moves upon the heart and he changes that stream of love in itself and converts it into one which is above nature and that is a heart that loves God. That's why I can look out across this audience today and I see that every heart which professes to love God, I see there from what my eyes allow me to see, I see something supernatural. I do not see a natural thing. If it was just in the ability of your will to come to Christ, there's nothing supernatural about your salvation. But if you have been brought to Jesus Christ, it's because of a supernatural work of grace which has come and drawn you to Him. Now then, I know God's at work, you see. So we see that, that we should not look to the womb of man's free will, but to the word of God's power. 
To what source do you look for your hope this morning? If you look within your own free will, what will you see there? You will find a deadness, a barrenness, that which does not love God. And my friend, if you are left there, you never will love Him. You'll still love self. But if you will look not within, not within your ability to come to Christ, but to the ability of the one who quickens the dead and raises them and draws them unto himself. There's where your hope lies. Oh, my friend, do not look to your own womb of natural ability, but look to the word of God's mighty power. Now we close by asking you a question. You probably ask, well, Pastor Gables, then... If it's God's power which saves a sinner, then what is there for me to do? Well, there's a lot for you to do. A lot for you to do. You see, you must be born again. You say, well, Pastor, how can I be born again? Well, let me set this forth. We must be bringing this to a close. Now, listen. You have to listen carefully to this. It may shock some, but if you understand what we're talking about, then you'll understand what we're saying. There's nothing that you can do to be born again. You want to hear that? If you hear an evangelist writing this paper sometime, or you see a church, you're going to have a message, what must I do to be born again? Then don't waste your time going. The man doesn't know what he's talking about. He really doesn't. Now then, if you ask the question, what must I do to be saved? There's a lot you can do. Okay? What must I do to be born again? Jesus told Nicodemus that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that's a marvelous thing, and that astounded Nicodemus. Now, man sees God through the eye of faith. Jesus told Nicodemus, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And do you see that? God's power must born a man prior to their repentance and faith. And so I thought it was the other way around. Now, that's the popular presentation today. A man repents and believes, and then God borns him. Now, Jesus said, except the man be born, he cannot see. Man sees God by faith. The new birth must be the cause of our repentance and faith. Therefore, that's God's work. But perhaps you're here today. And you're desiring to come to Jesus Christ. And, Pastor, what must I do to be saved? I have good news for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Is there any heart here today which is desirous of obtaining what our song leaders sang about a few moments ago? The realness of assurance that your sins are covered. Anyone like that here today? The author of the gospel? Come to Jesus Christ, believe on Him, and thou shalt be saved. Anyone here today that would desire to live like Jesus Christ would have you live? Anyone like that? The author of the gospel is come to Jesus Christ. And by coming, you will discover that God has granted life unto you. Now, if you don't desire to be saved, if you don't desire to obtain forgiveness of sin, then God hasn't wronged you, has He? Has He? If you don't want to be saved, does God owe you anything more? Well, certainly He doesn't. If I came to this young man right here and I gave you a $5 bill, when you don't deserve a $5 bill, 
But if I gave you a $5 bill and you took that $5 bill and you tore it up and threw it right back at my feet, would I be obligated to give you a 10? Hmm? Certainly not. I wouldn't be obligated to do that. And if God comes to you as a creature and in nature He reveals Himself to you and you take that and tear it up, is He obligated to send the preacher to tell you about Jesus Christ? Certainly he isn't. But if some, He does. Everyone here today, you've had a preacher tell you about Jesus Christ. Now, some of you don't even want that. And so you take that offer of mercy and you tear that up in the free offer of the gospel. Now, I ask you this. Is God obligated then in His power to come and change your heart? Hmm? That's certainly not. But my friend, God has purposed He's going to have a people. And Jesus Christ is going to be a Savior. And there's going to be such a host of people out of the human race that no man can number them that he comes in mighty power and compels them to become willing to embrace Jesus Christ. Uh, In our pre-assembly this morning, we read a text of Scripture of the Great Supper in which the, the master of the supper sent out his laborers into the vineyard. And they talked to people. And everybody had an excuse. We don't want to come. And so he said, well, you go out and you tell the lame men to come. And they did that. And he said, there's still no one here. still room. And then what did the master of the supper say? You go out and you compel them to come in. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does when he saves a sinner. Not against their will, but when he leaves like he did upon the room of Mary, then when his power is exhibited, His people become willing. And they embrace Jesus Christ. They want. You can't keep a person away from Christ. When the power of God comes upon him. But until that comes, my friend, you're like the dead womb of Sarah. Now, we're going to stand and we're going to be dismissed in just a few moments. And we're going to sing a closing hymn. And we're going to extend to you throughout this message an invitation to embrace Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel which we've told you. Now, as we do this, I want you to remember one thing. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never been saved. If you find no desire at all to become a Christian, then doesn't that prove to you what we've set forth here this morning? Your will is just as dead to love God as Sarah's will was. That ought to shake you ought to move you. But if you don't want to be saved God's way, your willingness of your own heart is as dead as the will of Sarah. But oh, if there's some poor sinner here this morning, and you're wanting salvation, you're wanting forgiveness of sin, you're wanting a new heart to live for Christ, then listen, come to Him. And by coming, you will discover that you have life. Look unto me, and be saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Salvation is for those who are willing. Now, when you come, you will find that it was God which did drawing work. But their salvation is such that it shuts the door on anyone except those who are unwilling. You may be saved today. Then come to Christ on His terms. Let's stand.